Welcome to a new episode of Bang Gong Podcast. I'm Nick Jimenez, and we are back with another set of three mini-interviews about life during the time of COVID-19. As with other such episodes, I'm taking the wheel on these interviews, but our illustrious host and Blue Ribbon-winning Chili Cook-Off champion Michael Beltran will be back soon. In this episode, we have conversations with three people who are living the coronavirus shutdown in three very different ways. First, Cleveland chef Brett Sawyer, who was a guest on this podcast back when Mike made the trek up to Cleveland for a collaboration dinner the two did. Next, Ilkay Suchtu, the executive chef at Jean-Georges Van Gerichten's Matador Room at the Miami Beach Edition. And finally, Alex Osuna, the owner of Grit Miami, a gym that has been uh, looking for new ways to keep members engaged and trainers employed, even through all the social distancing that we're having to do. We'll start with Brett Sawyer. As I mentioned a moment ago, he was a guest on the podcast. This was back in August 2019. That was when Mike went up to Cleveland for a collaboration dinner at Brett's restaurant, The Plum. Brett also owns a more casual spot called Good Company. We talked about how those two restaurants have been affected and how life has changed for him and his broader community in Ohio. To, to start, why don't you just tell me a little bit about like what things are like for you personally, like you and your family are, are good, I hope, uh, or, uh, have you had any like personal, you know, non-restaurant run in with COVID-19? So, uh, currently my family, my wife, uh, and myself and our one-year-old daughter, uh, we are all healthy. Um, we have not shown any signs, uh, or symptoms of COVID. Um, my wife is a uh, registered nurse at Parma Hospital, which is under the University Hospitals uh, banner in uh, here in Ohio. Uh, she actually, so she works on a um, a cardiac floor uh, at her hospital. Um, about two weeks ago, she had a couple days off in a row. She works uh, for anybody who knows anything about nurses. Um, nurses work, you know, usually 12 hour shifts. So she works three twelve. So she works three days a week, uh, 12 to 13 hour shifts. That's, that's, you know, that's full time, considered full time. And, um, that's just how their scheduling goes. So she was off for a couple of days. Uh, while she was off, she got a text from some of the people she works with saying that they were starting to clear out her floor in general, uh, and that they were, weren't taking any new cardiac and, and heart, uh, patients. Um, and they were probably, so she ended up going back and they had cleared her floor, uh, strictly for COVID. So she only deals with COVID patients now. Got it. Got it. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and I don't, she's like, so her floor is like where after they hit the, the, the emergency room, uh, or anywhere else in the hospital, if they test positive or if they, or if they show any symptoms, they go to her floor until they, their test comes back either negative or positive. Yeah. So, so I, I don't want to get too deep into it just for the sake of not asking you to like speak for her, but just sort of, you know, what is it that you hear from her about her experience there? Uh, right now, uh, it's actually quite lucky. Um, I, it, they, they have COVID patients. Uh, they're not currently overwhelmed. Uh, they are not currently, they currently have uh, enough protective gear, at least for the next couple of weeks. Um, so currently the situation at her hospital and what it seems to be in a lot from what, you know, people we know around Cleveland, um, it, we seem to be doing a very good job of slowing down, 
or flattening the curve is the term that everybody's using right now right. Um, in the state of Ohio. So, um, you know, we are not seeing uh, in general as a, as a state, we're not seeing the numbers that a lot of other states are seeing around us. Um, so, you know, so right now it's, it's, it's just business as usual uh, at her job, just a slightly heightened sense of, um, you know, of the situation due to them wearing much more protective gear and having to be very uh, conscious about everything they do going in and out of all the rooms with the patients and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so just kind of shifting gears to the, the restaurant side. Uh, we were talking a little bit about it before we started recording the call, but so I'm going to ask you to repeat yourself a bit. Uh, but, you know, m- most of the people we've spoken to on this topic have been in South Florida. Uh, so kind of walk us through a little bit of like what this has looked like from a restaurant owner perspective in terms of like the timeline, right? Like, and at what point uh, did you end up having to make what decisions about, uh, about your restaurants? So ours were made for us pretty quickly. We, um, you know, I think that the week leading up to uh, St. Patty's Day week, you know, is really when we started seeing kind of like everybody in the U.S. really that we started seeing that people were, that it was really starting to spread in places like California and New York and and Washington. Um, So our conversation maybe two weeks leading up to was, okay, you know, Maybe we should start looking at doing more, doubling down a little bit more on to-goes, you know, delivery and things like that. Maybe we should start looking at having the plum uh, start doing, like maybe writing a smaller menu or start having more things, uh, more options for delivery and things like that. Because that's, you know, uh, Uber Eats and stuff like that. We don't do that at the plum. Uh, We do it at our uh, good company where we have burgers and fries, but we don't do it at our our flagship. Um, So, you know, that was kind of the beginning of the conversation, but it wasn't. It was like, if this happens or if this gets bad, you know, maybe we'll have to start doing it. It was a lot of ifs and maybes and we'll sees. Um, and then kind of the following week, the week leading up to St. Patty's Day, uh, you know, prior to St. Patty's Day, it was a little more like we were reaching out to our insurance uh, broker and we were, you know, discussing, you know, a little more seriously, um, getting people protective gear and things like that. Uh, if it was going to make people feel better, you know, we were starting to put out hand sanitizers around the restaurant, um, things like that. You know, I don't think we really still weren't really kind of in the scope of it. Um, you know, and at that point, like that was the kind of the week that, uh, Danny Meyer shut down all his restaurants and, um, David Chang shut down all his restaurants, you know, kind of prior to anybody, any governor saying that this is what you should be doing. Um, those guys were doing it and we were like, oh shit, you know, Maybe this is a little bit more serious um, than what we're expecting, Um, but still, you know, with hope of (laughs) continuing on and maybe, you know, maybe, you know, Uh, and then I think it was that, uh, that Friday, um, my wife, I should say right before that Friday, my wife uh, kind of informed my, my, informed me that things were, that we should probably stop having my grandparents or my mother's come over and they take care of the, our, our daughter uh, while we work. And so I actually took that Friday off so that my mother could stay home um, because we were starting to get a little nervous. She has a lot of underlying health issues and things like that. So, um, 
you know, but at that time it was like, well, we'll see how this goes. You know, maybe I just need to kind of be home a little bit more uh, with my wife only working three days a week. It's something that could have worked out. Um, and then uh, that Saturday there was a lot of talk about uh, about the governor possibly shutting down restaurants and things like that. Um, so, you know, but we we didn't really – I don't think anybody really believed that that was going to happen, to be honest. Right. Uh, and then the Sunday before, uh, so I want to say the 17th, so the 14th, I believe, is when uh, we were shut down. Um, they said that uh, you could operate through the evening and that that Sunday, I think until 12, uh, 1130. Um, so we kept good company open until then, and then we shut down. Uh, we, we contacted all of our uh all the staff, all of our team members, and let them know that they should immediately apply for unemployment until we could figure out what the next step was. Um, you know, yeah, so that's, that's, and so we didn't really have, there was, you know, our steps were kind of, uh, they were slow, and then it was all of a sudden, boom, that's it, you're shut down. Um, and we had a lot of conversations over the next couple of days of what we thought we should do, uh, and, you know, our conclusion was to uh, leave the restaurant shut down and, you know, wait and see where things were going to go um, and, and just just kind of, you know, roll with the punches and see what happens um, and focus on what it means for us to get reopened when the time comes to get reopened. Uh, and in the meantime, figuring out, you know, obviously, even when they reopen, we're not going to we're not going to go right back to, you know, you know, 120 covers a night. Like it's not that's not going to happen. So in this time frame, we're trying to figure out what, uh, you know, what curbside and, and, and delivery for Plum means, uh, you know, what that means, how we do it on our own, as opposed to using a, a third-party um, service like Uber Eats. You know, we wanna, we're looking into uh, what kind of insurance we, will ha we would have to have our own delivery uh, and things like that. So Yeah. So sort of on that subject or, or rather like with the product itself, talk a bit about, uh, and for the benefit of the person who hasn't either been to the restaurant or heard the episode that you and Mike did together, talk about what kind of food you guys were doing, uh, at the plum back when things were normal, which feels like it was 20 years ago. Uh, and, uh, right. <laughs> And and then talk about like the your thought process in in whatever the transition's been for you, um, you know, because I, I imagine you know just being in a different city again. Most of the people that we've been talking to have been in Miami, and they're roughly dealing with you know uh, a similar like a, a metro area that behaves a certain way. But I'm curious to know uh, you know what these adjustments and what these pivots have looked like for for a different restaurant in a different market. Yeah, uh, so, you know, I mean, I think that um, what Plum does and what Ariette does uh, is very similar. So Plum being our flagship, uh, we opened, you know, back, uh, it would have been four years, well, it would be four years in May. Um, so just a few months after Ariette uh, opened as well. Um, you know, and we do uh, kind of, I guess, whimsical is the, is the term often applied to the food at the Plum. Uh, we kind of we kind of do whatever we want. We do hyper very hyper seasonal, uh, you know, very as local as possible, um, as far as farms and things like that go. 
Uh, we work with a lot of local farms. We do uh, a very uh, constant changing menu, especially in the spring and summer. Um, as things come in and into season from the farms, uh, you know, we really do, you know, if we're getting broccoli from a farm that we love and we put a dish on with broccoli, uh, if broccoli only lasts for two weeks, the dish only lasts for two weeks. Um, so every week to, to or so, we're, we're constantly, you know, putting new dishes on and taking dishes off, things like that. So uh, our, our menu is ever changing. Um, but in the time that this happened, uh, the, the, the pre-Rona, uh, if you will, era of, of restaurants, we were we had been running a uh, what we call our steakhouse menu for the winter. Um, so it was kind of our version of a traditional steakhouse menu. Uh, so a la carte, you know, uh, different cuts of beef, uh, you know, um, pork chops, T-bone, pork T-bones, things like that, just kind of, you know, a a, uh, uh, a version of a steakhouse that we kind of pay a little more attention to and try and, you know, make it our own. Um, so that's what we were doing. So, you know, higher end, uh, a little more expensive food, um, you know, for Cleveland and, and stuff that doesn't, very, doesn't really travel well at all. <laughs> right. uh, you know, it's the kind of food you want to sit down and eat at the restaurant. Uh, you don't want to order it and, and wait for it to show up, you know, 25 minutes later. Um, so, you know, so for us, that that is, you know, that's where we were at with Plum. And Good Company is a um, burger joint. Uh, we do burgers and wings and fries and milkshakes and, um, you know, veggie, veggie burgers and things like that. So it's kind of like a, uh, a sports bar mixed with a, a, a burger shop. Um, or so, you know, a soda shop kind of, and, uh, that is very, it lends itself very well to, to go. Um, but we, other than the Uber Eats and so we have, we, we do do to go there. We use uh, a company called Watermark, uh, which is kind of a centralized, they, they kind of centralize Postmates and Uber Eats and Grubhub and all those things for us. So, you know, they give us one thing and we deal with them and then we don't have to deal with all five and you know separately um but with that taking so much of our revenue and our revenue only being delivery and pickup at that point um we just couldn't quite see how that was going to work for us in the immediate um you know because that 30 percent that they're taking from us uh is you know <laughs> that's our margin like that's how we that's us paying our people that's us you know um so, you know, to us, it, was, it didn't seem smart in the immediate to just go forward with that. Uh, and at the point, we would have had to write a whole new menu. And uh, so, you know, what we were really worried about was getting our people uh, as quickly as possible. You know, we knew that we couldn't afford to do it and continue to pay them uh, right then. Uh, and, and that we wouldn't be making the money... Uh, that we needed to continue to pay them um, if we were just doing to go. So our our strategy was let's get these folks, you know, let's get let's let them know right now that we that that they're going to need to file for unemployment so they can get on and get through it. And uh, I think for us that was a pretty smart strategy. We definitely, um, I'm pretty sure every one of our uh, one of our team members who uh, has applied has gotten their unemployment, uh, with, you know, within the first two weeks of, of all of this happening. So, um, currently that's where we're at. Yeah. Um, 
Talk a bit about what you guys are anticipating. And of course, there's only so much that you can anticipate, right? But what does uh, the the medium term look like, right? What is sort of your next step to normal look like? And, and what's going to, what are you looking for as like a cue, right? Is there like a, of course, there's a, there's a certain amount of like cues you've got to take from, from state and local and federal government. But uh, beyond that, like, are you guys looking for certain benchmarks, whether it's like in your areas uh statistics with COVID-19 or or anything like that like what's the the if then here so for us uh it's more or less looking to I mean you know I, I, we're looking to get past the peak as, as, if we if we possibly can before we really start up operations again um, we're also looking for that you know for these loans that we we're currently applying for in mass um, for startup cap for you know for for more startup capital to reopen the restaurants um, so those it's kind of like a it's kind of a mix between those things you know once we once we have the capital to start buying food in again once we have the information uh, that tells us you know can we do our own delivery um, so we're not spending 30 percent of our revenue uh, on you know delivery services um, you know, once we have those things all kind of in place and all those answers, uh, and we see that, you know, it's, it's, the, at least our government is saying, I mean, and everybody's saying it's okay to do delivery and we're not saying it's not. Um, but, you know, once we have, once we have gotten to a place where we feel comfortable bringing our staff back, uh, you know, even if it's in smaller, smaller groups, um, and once we have, once our loans, uh, once we get loans, uh, which I don't think we'll actually, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> um, but we, you know, once those, once those happen, those things happen, uh, you know, it won't take us long to, uh, you know, at the plum, write a, write, write a menu that, that fits the new model. Uh, and it won't take us long to, uh, you know, to just really implement. Um, but it, I mean, if we have a good week or so of, of prep and things like that to get back into, you know, we make everything from scratch, uh, uh, you know, at, at good company, all our buns, all of our bread, all of our ice cream, everything, all those things are made from scratch. Um, you know, and we walked out of our restaurant with, you know, with a week's worth of that stuff made already. So, um, you know, it's coming in and prepping up and, and getting everything ready to do that as well. So we also need to have, you know, capital to pay our people to come back in so that their paychecks will clear when, when they go to cash them. So, um, yeah, you know, it's a lot of little little things. Uh, I don't think there's any one specific thing that's going to make us jump right back into it. I think it's there's a it's a little puzzle of of you know uh, of things. And then you know, I I, I mean, I, I think our our governor currently uh, is doing a really great job of kind of being ahead of uh, certain things. I I, uh, I agree with everything they've done on all the all the um, precautions they put into place at in Ohio. Um, so I think that he's going to allow us to open back up when uh, for, for full service or for whatever that means at this point, you know, who knows what that actually means. Right. Um, I think he'll allow us to do it when, when it's safe. Uh, so I trust him right now to do it, you know, properly. Um, but yeah, I don't know, you know, who knows what that means? Like I have a feeling that, you know, it's going to be early next year before we see any type of vaccine or anything for this. I mean, that's what everybody 
you know, everybody's reading the same things I'm reading, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, I, I uh, when, the, when it, you know, say we can reopen in July or, uh, you know, June or July or August, which, you know, I think is being um, realistic and if not slightly optimistic, um, I think that there's going to be a lot of uh, new regulations in place about how many people can be in your restaurant at one time, um, about, you know, how close everybody can be sitting together. Um, you know, so all those things are going to really, they're going to, it's going to, it's, it's going to be a lot of adjustment, uh, in figuring out, you know, how that works and how that becomes a working business model. Um, you know, at least we'll have some people in house, but we're going to have to start really relying on, uh, on those pickup and deliveries to make up, to, to, to fill that gap. Right. Um, so, and you know, one, one thing that the, the, the state of Ohio just did that'll be really that I think will help a lot with a lot of uh, this right now in the immediate, especially. Uh, so they just allowed us to, if we have a liquor license at all, um, we are allowed to sell to-go alcohol, period. So we can do to-go cocktails. We can do, you know, everybody can do retail wine and, and, uh, and beer when you have a liquor license and you own a, a restaurant. Um, but uh, we, we, there's no no such thing here as to go liquor. Uh, so as of right now, we can sell bottles of liquor. We can sell, you know, pre-made batch cocktails and things like that. So, you know, that'll be a huge, I think a huge help. Uh, I, I mean, you know, whatever a huge help means right now. Right. So, so that's kind of, it sort of leads into uh, the next thing I wanted to, to touch on, um, which was what are the things maybe we can call this like a silver lining or something, but what are the things that you hope or expect are going to stick with, uh, with you or with us more broadly, uh, in, you know, we're talking about the time, the era before, uh, the coronavirus. what do you hope or expect will stick with us after? Right. So one of the examples is, uh, I mean, personally, I, I kind of hope that, uh, those, you know, lifting uh, restrictions on restaurants like yours being able to to deliver or offer takeout uh, alcohol becomes a permanent thing, right? I mean, if it's safe enough to do now, why shouldn't you be trusted to do it moving forward and, and allow that to become like a, a diversification that that you bring into your uh, into your business? Um, are there any other things, whether it's like outside changes or just internal changes, maybe things that you've changed about what you do uh, that you uh, would like to see become a permanent thing? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I 100% agree with the, you know, the lifting of certain regulations as far as booze and things like that go. I think that, um, you know, again, I, I agree with you going forward. If, uh, you know, why wouldn't we continue with it if it's cool now? Um, I definitely, uh, you know, I mean, I, I have I have big hopes, I think, for what this change could mean as far as, in a positive way for restaurants, I think that, um, you know, if, if, if handled correctly, there could be, you know, a look to possibly using this to, to maybe start eliminating tips, uh, and paying people living wage, you know, living wages in the front of the house. Not that, you know, like we understand that front of the house people, they make good money, most of them, but, um, you know, we could really, we could really even the playing field out a little bit for people if we, you know, I, I'm, I'm a true believer in thinking that uh, tipped wages uh, aren't the best way for people to, to live. Um, and, you know, so, it, you know, I could see 
I could see that being a thing that comes out of this. You know, if we're if we're paying people more hourly and um, we're looking to, you know, uh, to be able to charge a little bit more for our food, uh, which is something that I think, you know, that we, we will be able to do going forward um, that could possibly then help us, you know, cover health care for our, for our team and things like that. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of changes that people have been talking about for years in the restaurant industry that we could that that, that, that could possibly come out of this if 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 it's a uh, you know if 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 it's handled properly. Um, but uh, you know, there's nothing right now. You know, I don't see anybody or any you know other than community coming together. And, and I mean, the restaurant community, I think, in a lot of cities, uh, does that a lot already. Um, you know, but even more so now, I mean, I think, I think our, our industry is, uh, an industry full of empaths. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, this just shows it, uh, the way that everybody's really teaming up and coming together to, to across the board and across the country, uh, you know, help each other out in small businesses and especially in restaurants and, and hospitality. Um, so I, I just hope that continues, you know, I hope that we look at this, uh, and, and we can, we can, you know, really, whatever changes we see that need to be made going forward, um, hopefully we can, we can use this to, to, to do that. Uh, and hopefully, you know, they, they, hopefully they stick. Yeah. So last thing I want to get into, because uh, this is one way in which I think you're probably unique among all the people that we've spoken to about this so far, is that you guys have uh, a big annual event that brings people in from all over the place, which is the Plumber Time Good Vibes Cookout. I imagine that you had expected before all of this, and maybe you still do, to to do would it have been a third one. Is that right? It would have been a third one. Yes, we were actually waiting till. Uh, so today would have been. I haven't even looked, but today or yesterday would have been the day uh, that we would have chosen the date for it. Uh, so we wait every year. We wait until the uh, the NFL. Um, schedule comes out so that we can pick a Sunday uh, in the, at the end of, in, 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 at the end of the summer that doesn't have a Browns game. Uh, so we're not competing with that for our, for our event. Right. Um, so usually around the 10th or 11th, 12th is when the schedule comes out. Uh, so we would have been picking the day literally uh, today <laughs> um, for our event. And so, yeah, we were planning on it. We were, we were planning on growing it this year a little bit. Um, we had a lot of new friends and a lot of old friends that haven't been able to make it the last couple of years that we that we were looking forward to uh, to inviting and hanging out with this year. Um, I'm really, you know, I, 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 I'm not getting my hopes up too high for it. Um, but, you know, you never know. You never know how, how this is going to really play out over the next few months. Um, I do really, fingers crossed, hope that we could do it. But um, I'm just not sure about it. So uh, it is a bummer, but, you know, we'll – We'll 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 uh we'll just make it better next year, you know. Yeah. We'll just grow. we'll just we'll just pretend like we had it this year, and right. then next year we'll grow it. And you'll call it the fourth, <laughs> just for her. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we'll just pretend. So, would it is it for sure like an all or nothing thing, or have you given any thought to whether you would consider like a scaled back one, or uh, everybody wear six foot noodles on your head no, to we... stay apart, or something like that? <laughs> Um, no, we, we've done, like, I, I've definitely considered, I mean, I'm not, it's not for sure not going to happen. Um, I, I would absolutely, uh, you know, uh, I would absolutely, you know, shift the model to work if, if it means, you know, having 
smaller amounts of people come in at once and that kind of thing. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely not dead this year. Uh, it's just, uh, yeah. on hiatus. So we find out what the, what the rules are. Um, but you know, even, even if we scaled it back to just, uh, just having local restaurants, you know, uh, do it and maybe we shift our, you know, the money we raise to something that's a little more pertinent to the situation right now. Um, or, you know, or we have more than one, more than one, uh, because uh, normally we raise it for the National Alliance on men, uh, uh, on Mental Illness, NAMI. Um, you know, maybe we shift it this year. Maybe we raise some money for uh, for some hospitality folks that, that need it or that have gotten into trouble. Who knows what the summer is going to bring? Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of these restaurants that when it comes time to reopen, don't reopen, which means a lot of these, these, these people's staff members and team members aren't going to have jobs even when this is over. Um, you know, so there's going to be a lot of people that need a lot of help, <laughs> right, right. uh, you know, come, come, come August, September. Uh, so, you know, we'll, it's definitely something that we will continue to look at, uh, as this whole thing evolves. Right. All right, man. Yeah. I think with that, uh, unless there's anything we haven't touched on that you really want to get into, uh, we can, we can wrap it up there. No, I, I'm I'm good. Uh, I hope everybody stays safe and healthy and uh, stays home while they have to. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it as always. You know. No, man. Thank you. Thank you. And hopefully, not too long before we do the the uh, the hat trick. We've had you. We've we've done one with you in Cleveland. Now over the phone, we'll have to get you down to Miami to record another one here. <laughs> yeah, for sure, my friend. For sure. Next up, a call with Ilkay Suchtu. You might have already heard our interview with the legendary chef Jean-Georges Van Gerichten. We recorded that at Matador Room, which is his restaurant at the Miami Beach Edition, which is managed by Marriott. Ilkay, a native of Turkey, is uh, Matador Room's executive chef. So we talked to her about dealing with COVID-19 as the executive chef of a restaurant that represents the brand of one of the world's greatest chefs while also uh, being accountable to a large hotel company. Let's, let's start just on the, on the personal side. Okay. Tell me, like, what has your experience of, of COVID-19 been personally? Uh, you're, are you, you're Turkish, correct? Yes, originally from Turkey. So I imagine you have family in Turkey. Like, what, what has your experience of that been? Because that's not something that we've, uh, that we've dealt with to this point, right? Somebody who has family in that part of the world. Right. It's... Um... I've been in the United States for 14 years now. It feels like home, uh, but still I have my mom and my sister back home in Turkey. Of course, they are in the situation of freaking out. Like, what are you doing? How is everything? Are you going out? Don't go out, stay home. Like all kinds of, um, you know, direction that I'm getting from them. But at the same time here, actually living in it um, with my kid, especially it's, it's hard because she's trying to understand why we're stuck in the house. I mean, talk about virus, you know, it's not good, you'll get sick, and that's why schools are closed, everything's closed, and it's stressful. It's uh, At some point in the first two weeks, I was okay. After two weeks, it kind of gets to the point, like, a little bit depressive, because you're stuck in here, even though you're able to go to, you know, stores and get what you need, take a walk outside, it's still okay, you get some fresh air, but at the end, I'm a person who's in control of a lot of things. And now it's not in my control. It's hard to like plan your day, how the things are going to go through. 
I'm just waking up in the morning and I wake up really um, down and then I, it takes me a lot to put it together and then put the motivation and energy to back together and then start my day. Right. So personally, it's like I have on and off moods. It's kind of changing here and there. But once I get the midday, I feel pretty good. I'm energized. I try to cook and I get in the kitchen, play with some food, you know, uh, looking for recipes, reading some cookbooks, and then kind of get myself into like what I would really like to do. Yeah. And then later on, when the day is over, okay, what do we do now? I think I watched two, three months of worth of TV shows <laughs> already in three weeks. Um, so there's not much to watch. I'm trying to read books, you know, trying to exercise, keep myself busy, helping my kid with the online schooling. But then I also have a roommate, which I'm lucky that I have someone with me in the apartment. It's not all alone. Is that who we see wandering back there? Yeah, little? she's wandering yeah. in the background right now. Like. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, on the personal side, it's on and off, moods changing. Uh, I stopped reading, I mean, watching news at some point because it's it, it get to the point of like you don't know what's true, what's not true, what's gonna happen. It feels like it's like a um, it's not ending. There's no dead end. Like you keep going, still going to unknown, and uh, it's kind of frustrating. Yeah. So uh, already, a lot of what you've been saying has been very different from other people we've spoken with because so many other people that we've been talking to are at restaurants where now they're in the position of like takeout and delivery. That's not the case with the Matador yeah. room. So take me through, um, and, and the other thing that's different is also, I don't know whether you live in Miami beach, but Matador room is in Miami beach. Right. Uh, so that's another thing that's different. Also, most of the people that we've spoken to have restaurants, uh, off of the island in, in Miami or the rest of Miami-Dade County. Let's kind of go through the timeline of like, doesn't have to be specific dates, but what was the the process and the different decisions that you all confronted going from whatever we would call normal to now? What 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 were the, what was the the events and and Matador Room and Editions reactions? So uh, when once all this started, you know, the news coming. We're gonna, are we gonna shut down? We're not gonna shut down. We also work on their Marriott International. We're managed by a big corporation, hospitality. So it is not up to us to decide if we're gonna close it or we're gonna continue serving food. Uh, at first, we start cutting down our uh, meal periods. Normally we'll serve lunch, brunch, and dinner, but then we cut the lunch, then we cut the brunch, we kept it on the dinner. And at dinner, we kind of got busy because people still wanna come in and eat. And then uh, Miami City said that we cannot longer have people sit in the restaurants. And then so we turn into the takeout progress. We come out, I, I, I spend a lot of time to come up with the menu, put it together with the front of the house team and with my upper management and get an all approval, sign up on some applications for the takeout services. And then that's what we start rolling. But then again, um, Matador Room is located in Miami Beach Edition Hotel, which is on the Collins Avenue. And so we're managed by Merit International, but we're also running a, a George. So it's like three different hats that you have to communicate with. You have to report it out. Sorry, you you, you cut off there a second. What, what was it after uh, managed by Marriott International? So we are managed by Merit International, but we represent the luxury uh, hotel service by edition brand mm. in the Marriott, but then we're serving John George food. So right. it's like basically you have three diff different locations that you have to report it out to. 
but because the management is by Marriott, it's their rule and their law, and then we have to follow in that case. Uh, the now, news came where, in from. Where do, you, where do you fit there? Are, are you sort of. Uh... So Marriott's making the ultimate decisions uh, in your position where you are the executive chef at a Jean-Georges restaurant managed by Marriott. Mm-hmm. It, where do you fit in terms of like when everybody's huddling up to make decisions? Are you more <laughs> having those conversations with Jean-Georges company or is it more with Marriott? OK, got it. So um, once we get any news, any information from Marriott. We sit down, we get on the calls with the John George team, uh, John George management, we tell them what's going on. It was at some point, like in every single hour, we were on the phone, exchanging text messages, on the phone, talking, explaining, hey, we're going to do takeout. No, wait a minute, we're not doing a takeout. No, we're going to close it. No, we're not closing it. We're changing hours of operation. It was just so many back and forth. Um, obviously, at the end of the day, it's uh, people's safety and health. Uh, there's no way the John George management will be like, no, you're staying open. They don't. They won't make that decision. Um, but then when Marriott is saying that we're going to have to shut down uh, and you can only keep the restaurants doing takeout service, that was by the state is different. It's changing every state, obviously. We all know that. But Miami City wanted to make the ultimate decision saying no hotels and restaurants going to be open. If your restaurant is in the hotel, then you're going to have to shut it down because you're still inviting crowd to coming through and it's still uh, potential risk for people getting sick and, you know, spreading the virus around. So with that being said, we had to cancel all the plans that we put it in a place, everything, all the work that we put in together, it was just, you know, put it aside. And then we decided to close the restaurants. Um, closing process was also a big uh, thing for us because we're a big corporation. Not only Matador Room, there's three other restaurants in the hotel. So we have to combine all of it together at the same time, try and close it. Uh, doing a lot of inventories, separate all the perishables, frozen items, dry items. And it was just so many back and forth. And then um, at some point, it took us about a week to close the entire operation. Yeah. Which was very stressful because people are afraid to come to work. At the same time, they want to come to work because that's the hours that they can get. And then everybody is in the, in the risk of like, I'm coming in here, I'm going to do my work, but at the same time, I'm afraid to getting sick. So it was just a lot of emotion going on at the same time. And we're trying to do, take care of the business as well. So it was a little bit of, of depressing, but at the same time, it was good to see people still being there and supporting each other, coming together to go through this uh, hard time together. So. Yeah. Talk, talk a bit more about, you know, the significance, especially to the staff, right? And I don't, I don't know what ended up happening with all the staff. So let's let's also talk about that. Uh, in terms of uh, hours and layoffs and, and all of that? And what impact does it have to be at a restaurant that is in a Marriott hotel? Right. Um, so Marriott International as a whole, uh, international-wide, they, they furlough everyone. It's not a layoff, but it's a temporary furlough. Um, and in each property, each brand is managed by different owners. So they agree to giving one day payments on each week. And then we have collected PTO times by Marriott and you can supplement it and get at least three to four days a week to pay off and you can get a little bit of cash in your bank. And, and then you can also pay your benefits for gut bed if you, you know, get sick and you need to go to doctors. So uh, Marriott did that. And also they gave everybody a letter of, uh, you can apply to unemployment, 
and then they were very bit uh, supportive about helping everyone one by one, each person to go through the system and then help them apply and give all the information that they needed. Uh, there are a lot of people who did not really receive unemployment. They are still trying, they're still going through, which is really rough. But at the same time, the good thing about Marriott, if you work with this company, uh, amount of time that you work for this company, you collect some pay time off and you can actually still use them, which is a good good support. And a lot of people have been doing that. Also, um, Marriott offered some like low key job positions you could do online or you could do work on some of the stores. So that's what they were trying to do to support all the staff. Uh, but then, and then John George management on there and they opened this big uh, GoFundMe uh, thing that, that they're trying to collect some sort of money to help to help their employees and chefs in the restaurants to just to kind of give a little bit of support. So everybody's been really hustling and trying to make it happen to give everybody a little bit of hope and then a positivity out there. Uh, but still, it's still hard. Obviously, there's a lot of things that it's not in their control. It's not in our control. But staffing was really understanding. They were very supportive. They weren't really uh, taking it very personal, which I, that's a good thing because not a lot of places, a lot of people took it that way. Um, so that was a good plus for us from our end. Yeah. Uh, how how long had you been with uh, Matador Room? Uh, I've been in an additional hotel for five years. About two years now I'm with Matador. Yeah. Room. So yeah. just just for you, and how long had you been the executive chef? Did you come, were you, were you, was that how you started your stint at Matador Room or were you in another position before? Well, well I was an executive sous chef at the uh, edition. I was, uh, I was an executive sous chef of overall property. I was overseeing entire culinary department. But then um, the Matador Room, which I, I have a really good relationship with John George's team and uh, they're amazing. They're really awesome to work with. And then there was a conversation going back and forth, like, why don't I take over Matador and then just, you know, be responsible for that. I, at first, my goals were to be an executive chef and in a higher end property. But then working with John George's team and, and getting their support and seeing how Matador does a good job overall and staffing is really uh, amazing. There's really badass cooks in there. And I thought it would be really good for me. And then uh, JG liked it. And then we said, yes, and moved on. Yeah. So... And part of the reason that I ask is, you know, again, the one way that you're sort of unique among the chefs who we've had talking about COVID-19 is that you're part of this bigger institution uh, where a lot of the chef owner operators feel right. like they're sort of flying by the seats of their pants. And there's it's not that there's not a lot of weight on you, but it's a lot of like, in your case, I imagine that there maybe is an element of like you're able to absorb things at a different pace and like take certain lessons and you, you're able to lean on a massive institution of Marriott hotels. There's, there's a certain, there, there's a difference in dealing with that as opposed to any other standalone restaurant situation. So just talk about, about that from the standpoint of like the challenges that you've faced and what you're taking away from the experience. Well, uh, work, I've been working with Marriott uh, international 10 years now. So I worked in many different Marriott hotels, but this was the very first time that I worked with the celebrity chef involved. And, and then you actually, yes, we, I do get managed. Like all my financials and everything is done by Marriott. But at the same time, I am representing John George. It's totally different two things. Um, 
I, my responsibility is basically making sure that all John George recipes are executed A to Z, no changes are made. And then every decision that I make in this kitchen, either menu seasonal changes or any recipe needs to be updated based on our location because not every product is the same always. And then those are the things that I have to be on top of it and speak um, all the time with the JG team and be in the constant communication and find those unique items, do a lot of tasting, do a lot of clicking, doing a lot of little videos and yeah. pictures for them to send it to over and making sure it's confirmed. But also I'm also very, I, I have a freedom to do what I like to do. I can run in specials. I could just bring in a team new or I can suggest things to do, which they're really good at, you know, taking in a good way and then and, and it back and forth in a, in a mature way, respectfully, we work together. So, uh, but also brand team, which is addition. That's another story that we have to serve, we have to do everything based on the uh, edition brand team, which is a, there's a different training going on on that, you know, uh, the verbiage that we use, how we walk in the room, how we speak to the guests, how we serve the food. Also, so you basically bring in three different language in one location and then execute it all at once. Right. It is hard, it's challenging, because sometimes edition may say yes to something and it may say no. And then John George would be like, that's totally out of our exceptions. And then you kind of got stuck in between. But then we always find a way to work together. I think we have a really good partnership at this point. And with the open communication, find a way to work that. Yeah. And in terms of the takeaways from this, uh, from the pandemic and the response to it, uh, you know, again, everybody, uh, I, I think, is going to move forward into whatever the new normal is with a lot of lessons learned, right? Because it's uh, a... Right. massive set of problems what what are the ones that you're taking away from all of this that you see you know as being valuable uh moving forward wherever it is that you end up uh well personally i think there's gonna be a lot of hand washing gonna be in the place <laughs> regardless of it <laughs> um i think is to more taking care of your people that you work with it's one thing you know sometimes when you're in the busy time you don't really realize how people make their time sacrifices and come to work and really make those things happen. And given that they have families, they have a lot of things to do, but then it's their job. And sometimes you forget that. I think we should not forget about that humanitarian, the people piece, because if people are there to support you, they're positive, they're willing to do anything that they, they will work with you, then your business will come back up together. It's not always about, okay, I've been sitting at home for two months. I didn't make any money. Forget this. I'm going to get a job somewhere else. It's, it's not like that. It's more like now get together, be stronger, be a good team, and then care about what we do. Because I think this was a lot of eye-opening at this point for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. We were not really appreciated, I guess, the time that we had in the past. And then now in the realization of where our life is going, what's so important there are things that you complain about at work. It's not important anymore because we don't have it anymore. You know, right. I think we shouldn't take anything as granted. That's my takeaway lesson. I shouldn't be taking anything as a granted. Also, my, my teammates should do the same thing. And then when we get back together, we should be with a strong team and then put everything together again and then just make the best out of it. And it'd be that nice person. We should stop being skunk. You know, we should stop complaining and being negative all the time. <laughs> And then we got to remember these tough times and then work together. 
that's that's my takeaway. But at the end, that if you have the positive energy, spread it around. Mm-hmm. Whatever the challenge is going to come to you, together, it's easy to uh, it's easy to um, pass over. I think. Sure. So yeah. just to to wrap up uh, a couple of questions on the on the lighter side. Number one, uh, you mentioned that part of your routine is to play around in the kitchen. Uh, yes. So what what has that looked like, and have what have you? Uh, I don't know. Have you? Is there something that you've discovered? Something that you've done that you hadn't done for a very long time? Uh, yes. What, what are the highlights I, there? Okay. I realized that my oven is really not good. <laughs> <laughs> more lessons. More lessons from the pandemic. Uh, well, the my pantry. I learned my lesson that I need to keep updating the quality in my pantry. Uh, when you're cooking at home, it's really important to have certain things in your kitchen uh, and it's not easy to find them now. So uh, I guess you have to do good uh, shopping list and store things and keep it really clean and organized. Um, I haven't been cooking different cuisines because I was always in the Matador room with, uh, with Matador's cuisine. And then I always practice for that to just to get better, you know, studying more recipes and stuff. But then I realized that there are so many other things to do. There are so many other ingredients that I can use, which the first week that I was home, it was pretty much whatever I have put together type of cooking style. But now I'm kind of finding my way, my way back to how it should be, organizing myself more. Uh, obviously, I keep sharpening my knives. <laughs> That's one thing that I keep doing it. Um, but this pandemic, it's really hard to go out and shopping. I think just, I would say that it's really important to be careful when you go out to shopping, wear your mask, wear your gloves, even though when this pandemic is over, I think we should continue to wear our masks and gloves to just to be safe mm-hmm. for a while and making sure that this is really over. Um, I think that social distancing is still important. We shouldn't be like, okay, this is over. Let's go out and have, have fun and have parties. You've got to be still mindful of it, I would say. Um, besides that, um, I, I mean, just I'm just keep cooking every day to yeah. just to kind of it's it's, it's like therapy, right? Because that's my life. I've been cooking for uh, for 15 years, and then all of a sudden it's stuff, and you're like, okay, what do I do now? Yeah. So then the other question related, and maybe there hasn't been much of this. Maybe you've only been cooking, but I imagine that being away from Matador Room, there's been a little bit of an opportunity to be more of a diner, even though now it has to be by delivery and takeout. Are there things that you had an opportunity to eat that you hadn't had a chance to eat after all this time working in restaurants? Like I know, for example, Mike, uh, our, our host, has done a lot more driving around town, supporting you know his peers uh, than, than he probably had time for before. Uh, so are there things that you've found like, oh, wow, look, I had this thing right next to me all this time and I, I'm only now getting an opportunity to try it. Right. Uh, I don't really, um, I live in Fort Lauderdale where I live. There's not much, um, places that I can go. It's mostly there on the beach. Uh, but what I've been doing that to just to help my friends and families, I've been sharing simple recipes that they can use it at home. Um, I've been actually going to shopping at uh, Restaurant Depot a little bit and finding different products that I haven't cooked, which um, uh, I, I purchased them and cooked them. Also, there's this family that I cook for them. They live in Miami, like just three to four times a week. 
I just do a small shopping for them and, and I'm cooking and they really like it. They enjoy it, which it makes me, it makes me happy too. There's, there are still people like asking some sort of help and support on this end. Um, there are some recipes that I've been seeing my friends where I just keep posting and then you never have time to do it. I'm like, okay, great. Now I can actually try this. And then it was really good. I had the, my friend who my, my best friend lives in Chicago and she's a chef as well. And she's Asian. She's been making all kinds of different things. And then I'm like, Hey, share those recipes. What are they? Like, how do you make this? It was just different. It was good. I think it, it helps a lot of people to connect right. again. Um, that's a good part. I think about this, uh, time they were sitting home, but at the same time, um, it's hard to find those things. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah. So I think, I think with that, uh, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time and I want to leave some meat on the bone so that we can come back to this, like in person with food and the whole thing, whenever this is over. But, uh, but thank you for, for joining us for this and for taking the time. Uh, of course, thank you. Hopefully, thank you as, as much fun as it sounds like to be playing around in the kitchen and and being a teacher to a six year old, I hope that you, <laughs> I hope that you have managed to retire from your teaching career soon. Uh, I hope so too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. I neglected to give Ilkai a chance to do our customary shameless plugs. Apologies, Ilkai, but uh, I will do them for her right now. You can find Ilkai on Instagram at chef.ilkai. That's C-H-E-F dot I-L-K-A-Y. Again, I-L-K-A-Y. And Matador Room on Instagram at Matador Room. Matador, like a bullfighter, room. Matador Room. Finally, a call with someone from outside of the food world Alex Osuna is the owner of Grit Miami, a gym that had about 300 members at the time that the coronavirus shutdown got going. We talked about his business, how he's had to pivot, and the challenges of keeping his members engaged remotely with a business that had always thrived on community in normal circumstances. Everybody else that we've spoken to, or almost everybody else, not, not everybody, because in our last episode we, uh, we interviewed a magician, uh, so not everybody's been in food. Um, but uh, but you are definitely from like a part of the economy and offering a service and uh, that, that the rest of the people we've spoken to don't. So in the case of your gym, let's just kind of go through uh, what normal looked like for your gym in particular. What, you know, what kind of gym is it that we're talking about here for people who haven't you know, been familiar with it? Sure. So <clears throat> Grip Miami obviously offers a service in uh, personal training and physical fitness, uh, group training is the majority of the business, right? So we have actually 12 classes a day. Um, we have normally before all this, we had close to 300 members. So on average throughout the day, we'll have a couple hundred people coming through and, uh, you know, anywhere between, uh, 10 to 20 people per class. And our classes start as early as 5.30 in the morning, and then they start going throughout the day, our last class usually being at 8.15 at night. So it's a full-day type of service. Now, we do have one class or one workout that we do throughout the entire day. We have two or three coaches on the floor um, coaching up a class because the movements that we do aren't normally a boot camp. 
So what we offer is somewhere in between, uh, let's say a CrossFit style type of training all the way through an Orange Theory type of training. And within that spectrum, you have so many different movements and so much different equipment that's utilized that some are a little bit more technical, which is why you need a little bit more guidance from a coach instead of, uh, instead of either just an instructor doing movements at the front that you follow along with or you doing it on your own while one coach kind of walks around uh, just kind of guiding you through it. So our service is a little bit more, uh, I guess, high-end and can be tailored more towards the individual gets a little bit more personal attention because you have more trainers able to help you out. Um, and again, in the end, it's all functional fitness. It's trying to make you uh, healthier, more fit in a variety of different ways. Uh, also being able to accommodate any type of limitations that somebody may have, whether it's an injury or um, maybe just, mobility issues or just likes and dislikes so if you come up to us and say hey look i don't really like this type of movement or i don't like to deal with this type of equipment we can always accommodate on the spot since we have so much uh space and equipment available to us our facility is roughly nine thousand square feet of open space um with, which is a luxury which allows us to have up to about 30 people working in the space without any type of like issues of being on top of each other. So, and the reason why I mentioned that is, I guess, in the post crisis, however you want to call this, yeah. we might, we might have to pivot in a different way and we might be able to accommodate and go back to some type of normalcy of business because of the luxury of having so much space and equipment. So yeah. So, uh, talk about where you are now, right? What's, what's the, what have you transitioned to at least for the time being? Uh, and, and what did that process look like? Like what were the steps between normal and whatever you're at now? Okay. So we're, so we're a small gym, right? We only have one location. We still consider ourselves a very, uh, a mom and pop, very personal type of gym and our members, we really try to, Everybody says it, you know, we want to create a community, but the truth of the matter is that we do have, you know, a lot of personal relationships with our members. I know 95% of the members by name, which is pretty damn tough, but, uh, but the trainers and myself, we have, you know, these strong relationships with our people. And at the moment, um, when we were forced to close, we decided to pause everybody's membership. Okay, we uh we were not like some of the other gyms and I'm not gonna I just know that some other gyms decided to keep their their I guess their billing going and trying to provide other services, uh to try to, you know, warrant people still getting billed. Right. Um we decided to, to, to pause everybody. Now what we also said was sending out an email uh, with the closure information, we gave them the opportunity to volunteer to continue with their membership if they wanted to. So rather than waiting for people's emails saying, hey, look, I'm going to cancel or I'm going to pause, um, you know, I gave them the opportunity to say, hey, look, we want to support you. And, you know, we were lucky enough and blessed enough to have, let's say about 90, 
of our members out of the 300, which 33%, I think, is actually a, a pretty good percentage to show that we have a lot of people that care about us and that we do have a strong community that we're willing and able to volunteer their, their, you know, their, their membership uh, rather than keeping it in their pockets during these hard times of uncertainty. So, you know, we're, we're really blessed and we're really thankful to have that. Obviously we think that that number is going to go down with time because of different people's, you know, issues uh, financially with their work and how long this crisis goes on. But, you know, we're, we're blessed to have them. So where we're at right now is that we do have a little bit of income coming through. We have applied for different loans, uh, the PPP being one of the main ones that we're still in the process of, of getting uh, getting approved. And the, the main reason why I bring that up is because from day one, we told our coaches, which we have seven on staff, seven coaches, I'm not even included in that, but we, uh, we told them that we were going to hold on to them and we were going to keep their payroll going through the end of April. This was before any type of loans got approved by the, the government or anything like that or while, before any of those things were out there. We decided that we were going to stand by our staff and we were going to support them through this as much as possible. Um, and then we would, we would obviously reassess the situation depending on the timetable of the crisis. So where we're at right now, we, we decided to utilize social media, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, and where we had one workout designated for the entire day, we are posting up videos of those workouts. We are posting uh, not just, so within the video, we're also posting not just the, the movements, the rounds, the, I guess the logistics of it all, but we're also showing you how to perform those movements. And we're giving a couple different cues on how to stay safe while performing some of those movements. So just like a coach would explain everything before class uh, or during the class, we're doing that through social media. Um, we actually just started this week to start live Zoom classes, which is going to allow us to actually see somebody, see their form, see the way that they, that they perform something, make sure that they're doing it correctly, and also give them some type of feedback. You know, they need to change a movement here and there, depending on their individual needs. So it might not be the best way of going about it. But you know what? At the moment, the, the, the Zoom live meetings and social media has been a great way to stay connected with our members and our, and our, and our clientele. Yeah. To talk a bit about, I think, you know, most, most of the people who are listening to this come in uh, to the podcast because of some degree of like involvement or interest in food. Right. But, uh, um, I'm I'm curious about what the learning curve has looked like for you uh, on the instructional aspect of this, like kind of remote coaching, uh, especially because you, not just in food, but in practically any industry, uh, there's a, a lot of education that has to happen with the end consumer. Uh, and if it wasn't happening, if it was already happening before, now it's happening in a different medium. 
So, um, you know, especially in uh, what you guys do where there's like very specific motions and, and basically the product is, is way more heavily dependent on how the customer executes. Uh, I'm curious what that, what that uh, learning curve has looked like. And I think that a lot of people would benefit from it as an example uh, like a lot of restaurants now have sort of transitioned to offering people meal kits where like instead of serving them a pizza, they'll offer them a take home kit to like assemble the pizza and bake it. I've done some of those and I've thought like I'm probably screwing this up somehow. Uh, <laughs> so I, I wonder in a case like yours where you probably have customers, you know, who who might be thinking the same thing. We're like, I'm at home doing this thing that I used to do very differently. I'm probably screwing this up. Talk a bit about like what you've learned over the course of like having to coach them in this totally different space. And let me tell you, it is, uh, it is definitely a learning curve, not just for the member, but also for the coaches as well. Remember that we're used to doing either individual or group face-to-face training. So the way that we uh, train somebody is either tactile, you know, manual manipulation or, you know, visuals where we can actually be in front of somebody and, and kind of mimic what we want them to do. And this, if, if, if that, if those two things were the only things in your bag of tricks or in your, in your tool bag, then you're screwed, right? So you need to really focus on the way that you coach in terms of explaining things clearly, explaining things differently verbally, right? Not just in the way that you just show it. So it's got to resonate with the member. Now, when we, when we closed up, it took us a couple of days, but we were able to, if you believe it or not, we have about a hundred members, whether they were supporting us or not, that actually came to the gym and took equipment. We're hoping that by by allowing them to to we loaned it out right in this program this loaner program and we don't know how we're gonna get it back but we assume that they took things that they were familiar with you know or that they they could be a little bit more familiar with and we make ourselves accessible to questions either through email direct messaging or even phone calls or FaceTimes or whatever to explain to them how to use it now. When we're dealing with members from like current members, I think it's a pretty simple curve, you know, because it's a lot of movements that we're that we're going over that they've done before in the classes. Um, and also, if you really think about it, unless you have a home gym, we're not going really heavy with a lot of equipment here. We're doing a lot of body weight movements. We're using a lot of home home equipment, whether it's a chair, whether it's a book bag that you fill up with some books. So we're not going crazy heavy. Uh, so, so the, the, the risk is also a lot less in terms of any type of injuries that you might get. Um, so I think that makes it a little bit easier for somebody that's a non-member to actually jump in and even do our, our workouts. All of it's for free right now through social media. Um, even our zoom calls, uh, you know, for this week and probably next week as well, it's all going to be complimentary to anybody that wants to join up. And I think that's where kind of we're trying to see the, the you know, cost uh, benefit analysis of 
you know, by putting all this out there, do we get some type of exposure with people that have never come into our gym before? And, you know, we promote it in the best of ways right now. When this, this whole thing, this whole thing happened and we closed down, we realized that this was not a time to really monetize and, you know, benefit uh, through any type of income in our reaction, right? Everything that we're doing right now, as far as our business is concerned, our gym, our community is to provide as much as possible to hopefully, you know, ride through this storm and come out stronger later on. Um, so, you know, we're, we're trying to weather it all and we're, we're, we're trying to, to provide services as limited as they may seem right now uh, to everybody for the member and the non-member. I think the movements are going to be uh, from now moving forward and everything. They're pretty simple for somebody to go ahead and whether you've done this type of training before or not, jump in on a, on a zoom call and be able to do it and enjoy it and at least get a sweat. And I think what we need to learn during these times is when people are home, when people are either working from home, which might be even more stressful than actually going to work where people are dealing with their kids that aren't going to school. And now they're trying to do look. teachers right now are like, <laughs> where's the teacher? You know, we give them raises, bring them back. You know, I've heard right. it from all over the place, you know, where the parents now need to be the teachers also, you know, I think there's going to be an appreciation towards that profession as well. Uh, but you know, people need a stress reliever and whether it's 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes or an hour long, which our classes usually last an hour throughout the day. Now these workouts that we're putting out there are, are much shorter, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes max. Um, so that you can get in and out, go deal with the, all the other things at home. A lot of people think that people are home and they have more time on their hands to do absolutely nothing. The truth is that they're, they're stressing, they're thinking about a lot of things, even though they're not doing it, you know? So we're, it's not all the same. It's not like we're all just hanging out watching Netflix. I know I've become a lot busier myself trying to deal with all the social media stuff and trying to get ahead of, of everything, you know, uh, rather than just sitting back and not doing anything. Right. So talk a bit about, uh, you know, you sort of introduced all these new things and it's, it, it sounds like, you know, you guys are, are very into that sort of uh, community aspect that for sure you can't accomplish uh, online. So I, I'm, I'm sure that this is not like going to be your new normal, but are there aspects of uh, where you are now that you've thought like, you know, whether because you ended up, I don't know, liking it more than you expected to, or just for the sake of diversifying what you guys are doing and sort of hedging against future things. Like we're about to run up against hurricane season in South Florida, right? So who knows what impact that's going to have. And then as you noted, people's spending habits might change. Uh, so whatever, for, for whatever reason it might be, are there aspects of the new things you've instituted that you expect might stick with you permanently? Yeah. So we're actually, this whole situation has forced us and not just us, but a lot of other businesses like the ones that you're interviewing, you had on previous shows, to come up with different ideas that maybe they've had in the past, but never really felt like they wanted to, to push for it or, or actually try it out because maybe, you know, 
the conditions weren't right or it didn't seem right. Well, this situation really forces us to to seek other ways to do business. We've always thought about creating some type of online program, like at-home workouts um, that people can purchase, you know, for a, a minimal amount. And then that way they have a program that is, is simple enough for any beginner to go ahead and utilize. Um, that's something that this situation has kind of forced us to kind of create and we're kind of creating it now through social media and it's completely complimentary. Right. But, you know, once hopefully regular, you know, all normalcy comes back to play, then maybe we can kind of create that and we have a platform for that already. Another thing is also the, the video one-on-one personal training where, okay, you may not, uh, you may not need somebody and you to be right in front of you face to face, you may not need any equipment that the gym um, provides. So you can do all this stuff at home because let's say maybe you have all the equipment and you just want a little bit of guidance. Now we're going to have a platform and we're going to have the comfort level to provide that. Um, so it, it allows us to have a bigger reach and to grow our community in that sense. In the end of the day, though, you know, these are all minor things that can bring some type of income back to the facility and, and bring us back up to to where we need to be uh, to, to survive in the long term. Um, and again, it's just going to be all supplemental again. But uh, truly what we want is, and, and we know it's going to take time, is to, to get everybody back inside the gym. Um, get everybody back to face-to-face communication, uh, using the equipment, the diverse equipment that we have here, uh, being able to work out next to their friends, um, really motivate each other through the presence like of just being around each other. Uh, that's just really going to build it up. So all the things that we're kind of pivoting to now is not a new business model, I think, that we're trying to create. I think we're just trying to create a little bit of supplemental income. It's allowed us to kind of create a platform for that in the future. Um, but, but I think it's also going to allow us to maybe provide somebody uh, to say, hey, look, you know what? I can't come back to the gym. Our, our monthly memberships are right now at about $160 a month. I, it'd be crazy for us to think that somebody can just go say, Hey, the gym's open. Let's just go right in and just start paying that again. You know, somebody may not be able to afford that. So maybe we create a, a program where we have a couple online uh, sessions or maybe a program that we can send them that they can purchase and they can go ahead and just keep up with the grit type of community uh, and program while doing it at home for a cheaper price and then eventually build up to coming back once they, once they're ready. Right. Um, so I think that's what, that's what, that's what we're really preparing for. I think more than anything. Yeah. What have you seen as the, the last thing before we get into uh, all the, the shameless plugs that we always <laughs> throw onto the end of these? Uh, what are you seeing in the broader uh, gym industry? Uh, Cause obviously like there's a lot of different, uh, there's such a variety of businesses there, right? Like whether it's size or style or the kinds of workouts or uh, the physical space, whatever it might be. 
you know, have you seen anything uh, among your peers and competitors that whether you instituted it or not, you thought was like, oh, there's an interesting idea that they're doing. Maybe it doesn't work for us. Maybe it does. But that's like uh, an interesting, like noteworthy thing that we've seen people in their own adjustments. Yeah. So, I, I mean, because we fall, uh, because our program really falls in a, in has a huge spectrum um there are some some things that have worked for others that aren't necessarily working for us as of yet um but those that have more of a boot camp style class um they're benefiting quite a bit from having the social media classes on either instagram live or through the zoom because their movements are less technical um so they can go ahead and perform it in front of the camera and have people at home follow along um they can also and because they don't get into crazy heavier weight they can go ahead and do a lot of body weight movements or lightweight movements in front of a in front of a a camera and have people just follow along and they're benefiting very very well uh from doing the social media stuff um so that that's great for them, and, and we're trying to. But you have to remember that our coaches are used to dealing with more technical movements, and our members enjoy doing the more technical movements and either heavier movements. So, you know, it's been a, an adjustment for them. So I think we're all trying to adjust in that sense. But those those that are doing it and they're doing a great job. Right. Um, the personal the personal trainers that that run classes like their individual classes. So those, those personal trainers are doing yoga classes. They usually do it at a larger facility or a boot camp class or whether it's a booty pit class or something like that. Um, they're, they're benefiting really well. And, and I know that there's a lot of trainers out there that aren't able to be supported by the gym corporate wise that, you know, they're throwing out, Hey, here's my Venmo. If you want to tip me, if you want to, you know, they're charging on their own. And I think it's a great way to pivot. I mean, again, you know, in, in, in our business, as far as Grit Miami is concerned, as far as our community, we're not asking for any type of donation in that sense, because we're still, we still have our coaches on payroll, you know? Right. So any, anything I ask my coaches to do, they're not, you know, they're doing it because they, they, they want to you support those that are supporting us as well, but keep the community going. And that's what we're all trying to do right. um, here at Grit Miami. Um, another thing that I've, that I've noticed, and one thing that we tried to do as well is, you know, the gyms that do have a good community, the smaller gyms are doing little challenges amongst their members. And that still allows them to have that type of like, you know, competitive yet, you know, gym to member interaction and also member to member interaction. So whether it's a a one day challenge or whether it's a weekly challenge or even a competition. So there is a competition going on um, at another gym that I know. And I don't know if I should be name dropping because I love these. I love all these gyms. I love these, whether they're competitors or not, you know, like we're all in this together. So, you know, we do have a lot of other gyms that are doing competitions. I think that works as well right now. I wanted to go against the grain a little bit 
and uh, and we have quite a few people that are that that are taking advantage of this. But I'm actually doing we're doing a transformation challenge where everybody's home and everybody's complaining about the food that they should be eating and all this stuff. And, oh, my God, I can't eat right and all this. I'm putting them up to the challenge um, with all these extra difficult variables that they're dealing with at the moment. And, and we're going to we're, we're doing a challenge. So it's a it's a forty dollar entry. It's a donation to the gym. You're getting a bunch of different educational information. You're uh, you're getting contacted by me on a weekly basis, and um, and in the end, and th- this challenge goes for as long as we're closed. <laughs> and right. at the end, we're we're gonna choose we're gonna choose uh, two males and two females, and we're gonna give them a cash prize of two hundred fifty dollars plus a free membership, uh, a monthly membership here to Grit Miami when we do open up. But it's really just to to have them get some accountability, you know, towards their eating. The, the the fact that you're in this, you know, crisis and closure and high stress environment doesn't mean that you need to just forget about what you eat, you know, and just say, yeah, you know, I'll lose it when I go back to the gym. No, now's the time to really focus on good eating because you may not be able to work out as much. So I think, uh, I don't know, we got a few people uh, registered for it. It's an ongoing registration, so you know anybody can register whenever they want during this whole closure process. But uh, we opened it up last week, and uh, and yeah, I think that that's going to be kind of interesting to see how people really react to it. So yeah, and and I imagine that at least this stuff is is things that you know are accessible and useful to people, even if they're not necessarily uh, anticipating that down the road they'll become members maybe because they're not even in the area. So th- th- that is a resource, right? That, that would be available to people wherever they might be. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It takes, it takes a simple email and a phone call and I'm sending out a bunch of PowerPoints and I'm not reinventing the wheel here and I'm not a registered dietitian by any means, but I do have an education background. So I'm trying to educate people on how they should be eating towards their lifestyles um, and, and really what works for them. So, you know, uh, in the end of the day, the information that you're getting is, is worth a lot more than what the donation is. And then having somebody, you know, kind of on your butt a little bit on what you're eating, how you're eating, and having that accountability, I think is really what people need right now more than anything. Um, and the worst thing that comes of it, even if you don't change any any LBs or any inches off your waistline, is you're gaining knowledge. And then for whenever you are ready to really, you know, put your foot down and, and just go running, you know, like to hit the ground running towards your a, a, a better nutritional dietary lifestyle, right. you know, you'll be ready for it. So. So just to to wrap up, let's tell people you know where they can find you, uh, the details of how to sign up for all that. You know, I know we've talked about it a lot, but you know maybe there's like specific URLs or whatever that we want to drop here uh, at the end for somebody who might want to follow through. Yeah, so uh, if you go to our website www.gritmiami.com and uh, you go to our plans tab, you'll be able to see not only our memberships, which is month to month. 
Uh, but you'll also be able to see this transformation challenge uh, fundraiser that we're doing. Uh, you'll be able to register through there. You'll get a registration, like a confirmation email for that. And then you'll start getting all the resources uh, that, you, that you're supposed to be getting. Um, and then you'll be contacted by me directly. Uh, we are located uh, right by the Dayland area. Uh, there's a, a right off of 67th Avenue in US 1. So um, very good neighborhood area. We got South Miami, Pinecrest, Coral Gables, got some great people here. We got people that come in from further away from Kendall and even some from, you know, Coconut Grove and even downtown that love coming here. Um, uh, so hopefully when everything comes back to normal, you guys will be able to visit. The first time is always free. We enjoy having new people, visitors, because it allows us to actually exhibit what we offer. And, uh, and at least you guys know what happens within these walls. And, um, and yeah, I mean, hopefully, you know, everything finishes pretty soon. We can all go back to some type of normalcy and, and, we won't have to worry about any type of uh, pandemic issues. Right. You know, I, you know, I wish everybody the best. I want everybody to stay healthy and clean. Um, obviously social distancing being something that we're probably going to need to practice for a while. We do have a large facility and we might need to go ahead and change our ways of how to run our business to, in terms of limiting some classes here and there. But I think in the end, um, I think we're all going to be okay. Uh, in the long run, we definitely got to support the smaller businesses out there that uh, that are still a little immature and weren't able to prepare for something like this to happen because there's a lot of good ideas out there and a lot of good businesses out there that uh, that hopefully this doesn't close their doors down. It may slow them down, might push them back a couple steps, but definitely we want to see everybody flourish in the end for sure for sure well dude thank you uh thanks for that time hopefully we didn't really get into any of the the personal stuff but i, I hope that you and you know uh I, i don't know anything about your family situation but you your loved ones your family are safe healthy corona free um i don't know whether that's the case uh, personally is everything okay on your end or everything is great on 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 our end uh lucky enough you know, we haven't had any of those issues, uh, you know, whether, and that's the crazy thing also, you know, we don't know if we're just asymptomatic, you know, but, uh, right. overall, uh, with my whole family, we've been, you know, we got to make some sacrifices. We haven't seen, uh, I haven't seen my grandmother in a while. So we FaceTime each other and it's the new norm, I guess. Right. But everybody seems to be, okay for now and hopefully that's the same Good. with uh with your family and everybody out there yep. we always wish everybody the best all right man well thank you very much and uh yeah hopefully some of the some of the people in our audience who i know are like you know we have a this is a foodie crowd so uh myself included i know uh we're doing a disproportionate amount of uh of nice takeout we could probably use some grit miami in our lives so <laughs> well thanks so much nick and, and again you know just on instagram grip miami uh look us up all the videos are there choose a workout that you think you can do try it out see if you like it at least it makes you sweat even if you don't finish the whole thing and then you'll feel better about 
maybe the the food that you ate the couple <laughs> days prior or even after. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks again. Thanks so much, Nick. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pang Kong Podcast. My conversation with Ilkay Suchtu uh, happened over Zoom rather than on the phone. So we actually came away from that with video of the conversation. If you're interested in watching that, the full video will eventually be available exclusively to our supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash dademag. Again, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash d-a-d-e-m-a-g patreon.com slash mag for as little as a buck a month you could be getting some perks and also supporting what we're doing around here uh, so that's patreon.com slash mag as always you can find past episodes of the podcast at dademag.com slash podcast and follow Bangkong podcast on all of the social media things at podcast. facebook.com slash podcast. instagram.com at podcast. twitter at Bangkong Podcast. Uh, we're all over the place. Leave us reviews, share the episodes on social media so your friends and your, you know, grandmother find us, and make sure that you're subscribed wherever it is you listen to things. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, something called Radio Public that I'm not even sure is a real thing, but we're on it. Remember that you can go to dademag.com for more stuff, including episodes of Step Into the Sandbox, which is a podcast that is about interviews with creatives hosted by David Verhano. That's it. We're done. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us again. Hope you have enjoyed it. And uh, remember that uh, we're going to keep doing these for as long as uh, it's, it's relevant and we feel like you, know, you can benefit from hearing other people's perspectives about how they're dealing with COVID-19. Uh, if you have ideas about what you want to hear about or who you want to hear from or any of that sort of thing, uh, any feedback at all, feel free to write us at bangkongpodcast at dademag.com. Thanks. Thank you.